Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. Ephesians, Ephesians, not Ephesians, another E word in the Bible, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, okay? Verses 1 through 7, what we'll look at. When, when we're away, and I was away a lot this summer, you guys know that, um, my wife and I and family always make room to go to church someplace, to gather with another group of believers, always. We don't ditch, we don't ditch a Sunday. And I, my fear in the body of Christ is we go on vacation, we forget Jesus. Because he, serving Christ is a full-time thing, man. Whether I'm on vacation or not, whether whatever, I, that's a full-time deal. And, and we, make, we make place and make space to enjoy worship with other people. We just do it. And, and I, I've heard this for years about my life, okay? So I'm just going to say it and just take it forward. Well, well, that's because you're the pastor. No, I want to be, really be honest with you. I probably am a pastor because God can trust me like that. And I'm not trying to be boastful or proud. I'm just saying, those are, those are, some people, they say when, when, when our kids were little and they would do something and they would answer things in class, they go, well, they're, that's because they're the pastor's kids. No, that's because their mom and dad take it serious that their spiritual development gets going on. And the reason I get to be a pastor is because my own, my own family is in check. Because that's, 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 that's 1 Timothy chapter 3. Are you hearing me? And I'm not trying to get, I'm not trying to be profile. I'm just trying to make, make you understand that these are things that are expected of believers, not just people who have ministry positions. Do you understand that? And so, so here, here's the deal. We, we need to be, when, when we're away, my wife and I, I, make, I make notes. When I go to another, another place where, they, where they're, I, I make notes. Sometimes I take physical notes. Sometimes they're just mental notes. I come home with literature from them, and I kind of look over it because I want to learn from how other people are, quote, doing church, which seems like an oxymoron because you don't do church. You are the church. You know what I found out? The things, things cannot be the way I like them, and God still gets to me. I'll give you a couple of examples, all right? One Sunday we were gone, we were at this church in Cincinnati, and everything about that church was what I like. The worship was awesome. They did baptisms right in the middle of worship, and it was really cool. You know why it was really cool? Because it wasn't just pastors baptizing people. They would show a video, quick video uh, testimony of the person getting baptized, and the person who was intricate in them coming to Christ was the person baptizing them. It was awesome. And the message was great, and I walked out just completely challenged in my faith, and, and we had an awesome time. About two weeks previous, we went to another church in Columbus. And we walked in, and I had to really be honest about it, it was the most unfriendly church I think I've ever been in. I mean, I, like Rachel and I had one conversation with somebody, and that was another visitor. And that's the honest truth. That is, there is no embellishment about that. And it was a big church. It was, it was a, I mean, it was larger than our church. And, 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 and it was packed. The worship, the worship wasn't what I liked. It's musically, style-wise, it was kind of liturgical. They did responsive readings. And the reason we went was because it was a part of a church planning network, Rachel and I were a part of, and we thought we liked the, the people who lead that, so we'll go check that out. And, and it just, it, and they, but you know what? The preaching was okay. By the end of it, guess what? My heart is ravaged. I'm bawling at the end. I, 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 God grabbed a hold of my heart. So things didn't have to be perfect. See, the real, the real issue with worshiping God is the heart of the worshiper. It's not in the amenities. It's not in the sound system. It's not in the lights. It's not in the building. It's not, it, is, it is in the people who have come to worship Christ. See, worship to us is a lifestyle. That sign right there. See, we, we classify worship as a 45-minute segment during a service where we attend church. When we're not supposed to attend church, we're supposed to be the church. Therefore, worship is something we do on an ongoing basis. And the real thing of worship is not what's going on and how great the music is and whether the preacher can preach or not. The real thing with worship is, where is my heart in the middle of that? That's the real issue. And I think the reason, because we all, we all do that, don't we? we? We gauge the church, we gauge things by how we like the music, how we like the kids' ministry, how good of a preacher the preacher is, how all that goes on, and then we, we kind of come and go and we church hop because we're consumers. Uh-oh. We're consumers. And so when somebody's offering something new, we think we got to go check it out. 
And they don't do that at their, or my old church, so I'll go over to this one. You're not supposed to be a consumer. You're supposed to be a servant. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Okay? And the real issue of enhancing our worship is this. The real issue of the worship is us. It really is. It, it, it's me. It's how am I responding to the nudge of God, to the heart of God, to, to, to the word of God. It's how hungry I am for him, for me to, to, to know him and to know what he wants for my life and all of that stuff. And if I do anything else, it, it, there's got to be something about that. We, we talk about worship experiences. But see, we're not supposed to have a worship experience. We're supposed to have a worshipful lifestyle. And, and so we've we got to find a way. to see. We, we make worship about transient, temporary things. We make it about, about what worship is really about drawing near to God, growing in Christ-likeness, and growing in, in, in connection to a, a spiritual community, a family of God. That's, that's what worship is. And so, so we're, we're going to find it. So, so how do we make that better? How do we enhance worship? Okay? How, how do we do that? Well, the word enhance means this, to intensify, increase, or further improve the quality, value, or extent of. So how are we going to do that? I'm going to say something. I'm going to say it numerous times this morning, and I hope you get it. My wife says I usually say this way too fast. So here, I'm, I'm, I'm going to slow down. Are you ready? True worship is more about listening and doing than speaking and singing. More about being present than just showing up. Should I say it one more time? True worship is about listening and doing more than singing and speaking. It's more about being present than just showing up. And with that being said, I want you to do something different with me so we stay engaged. Can you do that? I want you all to stand with me. I'm going to be reading from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We're going to read down from verse 1 down through verse 7. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. Um, and so maybe if you don't have that one, you might not want to read, along, read loudly with me because people will get lost. Okay, so let, let, we'll begin to read. This is the Word of God, so I want you to be attentive to it because of all the things that will be said during this morning, these are the most important words you will hear. Because they're not mine. God saw fit to write these down and make sure we had them over and over and over again. So if you're going to listen to anything, don't zone out right now. Okay? It says this, As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to Him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. Don't let your mouth make you sin, and don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry, and he might wipe out everything you have achieved. Verse 7, talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. May God add blessing to his word, right? You may be seated. So how, from these passages of Scripture, this is not going to be an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts or anything like that. We're going to pull just a few thoughts out of these words of King Solomon as he's reassessing life as an old man. And, and we're just picking up where we left off. I, I left off with this series in May. We're just picking right back up and going because God's Word is powerful. And see, it would be easy if I were wanting to just to skirt around what God says about things. I would like not to preach this message this morning. And one of my greatest fears is some of you will leave here condemned and not, not and frustrated and depressed and angry. But this has been in God's heart for almost six months now for me to preach. And so I, I could dance around it, but I choose not to. If you want to enhance your worship, the very first thing you need to do, according to King Solomon here, is this. Learn to hear more than be heard. In fact, he's very, very, very blunt. He says these words, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. Wow. 
We're so busy talking and so busy assessing and so busy doing things and requoting and retweeting and, and whatever, and, and we, we stop not long enough to listen. And I think God's constantly speaking to us. I think He's constantly trying to get message to us. And we're so busy doing whatever and all that stuff that we're just not listening. We're just not paying attention. And he says we should listen. James 1.19 reads like this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all, 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 every person in this room, all must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. When I'm in a premarital situation with couples, I tell them this. When I read this piece of Scripture, I tell them this. God gave you two ears and one mouth. You know what that means? You should listen twice as much as you speak. It's true. We're so quick to respond to things. We're so quick to make assessments and accusations, and we think we know something, and but we don't know anything. And we lash it out, and, and, and boy, we like it. Boy, it's oh goodness. We like it when we think we know stuff, don't we? And we haven't, we haven't assessed. We're not, we're not listening with our whole heart. We're not listening. Because some of us listen with our ears and our emotions, but we don't listen with the heart of God. We don't listen with a, with a thoughtful process. We, we, we just hurry up and make a judgment, you know. Be, be, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And, boy, if we just applied that one simple principle, not just in the way we live, but how we interacted with, like, our spouses and our kids, and our friends, boy, life would be different. Our, our worship lifestyle would be a different, different thing altogether. Just, just that one thing. I could just stop right there. Couldn't I? I mean, that, that, that's a really important thing. The, the words here, it says, as you enter the house of God, the, the, the ESV version of the Bible says, guard your steps. King James says, keep your foot, keep thy foot. And one of the commentaries that I read says this, in going to worship, go with considerate, circumspect, reverent feeling. The illusion is to take off your shoes or your sandals in entering the temple. Now, here's the thing about us. So, so we're not talking about just the church gathering because this is what we know about being New Testament Christians. Jesus obliterated the religious segment of that. We are not just to observe worship on a particular day of the week. We are to live in a worshipful mind because Jesus tore down the veil in the temple. He gave us access to God. So here's the thing. This is not to be just something we, we, when we gather together as, as believers, although this should be the case, it should be how we walk out our lives. We should guard our steps. The illusion is of taking off your shoes. You know how you walk differently when you don't have shoes on? You take cautious steps and you look around and you assess everything. That's, that's the idea that like you're, you're, you're taking it in. You're not making rash judgments. You're listening and you're paying attention. The, word, the, the next word there is hear. And it means this, to be ready to draw nigh with a desire to hear and obey. This is a better sacrifice than the offering of fools, the Scriptures say. The warning is against mere ceremonial self-righteousness. Obedience is the spirit of the law's requirements. And Solomon, as he writes these words in Ecclesiastes, looks back sorrowfully on his own neglect of this. He would keep the, 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 the ceremonial pieces of it, but he wasn't living it out every day of the life, and his heart is convicted that he didn't do better at being what Christ wanted him to be. The positive precepts of God must be kept, but will not stand instead of obedience to His moral precepts. Here's the idea. You can show up to church... But on the outside, if you don't live it out every day, it makes no difference how much time you punch on your spiritual time clock at a gathering. If you neglect how you interact with people out there, if you, enter, if you neglect how you are operating in your home, if you neglect how you're operating at work, if you neglect, then this, this doesn't matter. And, and, and so he, Paul, I mean... Solomon's like, listen, I have neglected this all of my life. He's, he's sorrowful that he, that he didn't guard his steps. He's sorrowful that he didn't really hear and he didn't really obey what God really wanted. He wasn't, he wasn't worried about the law at this point as much as he was about his heart. And he's, he's, he's assessing as an old man that he's missed it. Would to God that none of us would have to look back over our lives and go, I missed it. I, I chose to listen. 
when God was speaking. I, I chose to pay attention to his, his, his servants, his people, when they, 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 they came and they said they were praying for me and God showed them something. I, I, I chose to listen, being intentional. I, I chose to listen. When, when I was in a small group and they were talking some hard issues like forgiveness or, 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 or communication or, or, or financial issues or, or whatever, I, I chose to listen. I don't, I don't have regrets. I tried to carry that out. So the first thing is, learn to listen more than be heard. Number two, if you're going to enhance your worship of God, you have to live intentionally, not mindlessly. The words there, it is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Now, I have to really be honest. I didn't know they chose that song for the, 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 the offertory. They have no idea until they showed up. Matter of fact, on the, on the list, it said the worship team was going to take care of the offertory. So I had no idea that was coming up there, right? Didn't tell anybody to put that up. I had no idea. But when we sing words, I give you my life, those are strong words. And if we just flippantly sing them, well, we're maybe, maybe should be really cautious and guard our steps there. We have to live intentionally. My fear of most Christians is we live unintentionally. We, we live whatever's getting thrown at us. That's what we do. Whatever's happening. We, we haven't assessed what we want, what we think God wants for our lives. We haven't assessed what we think God's expecting of us. We're just living kind of in the moment and kind of rolling with it and whatever happens. And, and the scripture says, doesn't say this is just a bad idea. The scriptures say here that's evil. E V I L. Evil. You catch that? You catch the gravity of that? To, to mindlessly walk through life when you call yourself a follower of Christ is evil. Those are strong words. See, I, I would have liked, on my, on, you know, last week was kind of my, my first day back up here, and, and I kind of went off track just to give you a report of how the summer went. And to be back really preaching what I, what I, what I feel like God's coming to preach, I'd like for it to be a nicer message. I really would. I'd like for it to be like, you know, all fun and games, and we could high-five and belly bump and, and do whatever and, and all that. But you know what? I, I'm just telling you, like, like this is the Bible. These aren't, these aren't Aaron's words. These aren't Aaron's thoughts. This, this is the Word of God. And he says to be mindless about how we're living is evil. To not give a second thought is evil. You know, how that, you know why that is? Because when we don't do that, we find ourselves doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Listen, James 1, 22, 25. Don't just listen to God's Word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Here's the connection. Listen first. When you worship, you learn, you, you learn to listen more than be heard. The once you hear, you have to do something with what you hear. That requires intention, not mindless living. That, that requires, like, there are some things about my life I think God's calling me to, to a new place. I need to step towards him. Now, here's what I do know. I am incapable myself of living up to the things God needs for me to do. That's why my relationship for him is so important because he can empower me to do things I can't do naturally. And so the reason I listen first is so that he can empower me to do whatever it is he asks me to do. The reason I connect with him first is so I can hear his voice and then receive the empowerment only his spirit can give me so I can become what he needs for me to become. And I can't do that mindlessly. I have to take what his word says. I have to process it. I have to allow his spirit to, 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 to speak truth to my life, to my heart, and then I have to do something with it. This is called being a disciple. You live by a particular discipline. How many of you all would consider yourself disciples of Jesus? How many people in this room would say, like, I'm a disciple of Jesus? So that means I'm speaking to you. If you're not yet a disciple, here's what I can tell you. There's room at the table for you. The whole story of the gospel is God wants more kids at his table. 
And he, he, can make, he can help you be what you can't be by yourself. That's the glorious piece of this thing. We are messed up. We are shredded. We are tore up. We can't get things right. And he says, listen, I got a place at the table for you, but I can't, and I don't. And, I, and he goes, yeah, I know. I know you can't. I know you don't. And I, I, I got that. Come to the table. I'll give you some nourishment that will help you be what you're supposed to be. Please come sit at my table. Oh, man, that's awesome. I mean, that's better than butter, beans, and cornbread. Am I right? I mean, for real. I like some good home cooking, man. I could do some beans like right now. And my wife wouldn't be happy about that later, but that would be good. But that's better than those. That's like, listen, there's this feast prepared that not only gets me through this day and nourishes this physical body, there's a feast prepared for me that gets me through this day and the next day and the next day and, in fact, takes me right into eternity. And check this out. The Bible says, I will drink of the water he gives me and I will never thirst again. So whatever he's dishing out way supersedes Aquafina or DeSante, or vitamin water, or whatever it is you choose to, you know, it's better than that. Or, the, you know, what, what is that? What, Brita. It's better than the Brita filter thing. The zero water, or whatever, right? It, it, it's the best stuff. He invites me to the table, and he says, listen, I'm going to revolutionize your life. I want your life to be different. And he says, so listen, and then intentionally take what, you, what I've given you and begin to try and walk it out. Now, all of us are like Peter. Peter's like, Jesus, if it's you, I want to come out there. And he says, come on, boy. And we start walking, right? And life starts happening. And the wind is blowing, and the rain's coming down, and the thunder's, the thunder's cracking, the lightning's flashing. And we're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm like, Jesus, in the boat, in the thing. And Jesus is like, hey, and he, you, we start to sink. And Jesus is like, hey, I got you. Yeah, you kind of messed that up, but I got you. It's good. And the important thing is not that we, we don't stay in the boat where we were. The important thing is we walk towards him. We're all not going to get it exactly right. But our intention and our trajectory of our life has to be such that we're walking towards him. That's where our listening comes in. That's where living intentionally comes in. So here's the thing. True worship is more about listening and doing, right, than singing or speaking. It's more about being present than just showing up. Present to Him. Present to His Word. Present to the community of faith He's put around us. Present. i got to be present. I can't just be there. I learned over the last several months, in a lot of ways, I was, pre- I was here, but I wasn't here. I learned in my family, in a lot of ways, I was, I was in the house, I was at the address, I was, I was there, but I, I wasn't there. I, I'd shown up, I was eating dinner at the table... I was sitting in the living room. I was hanging out on the back porch. I was in the car, but I wasn't there. And it led me to a really awful, ugly place. For me, for two of these ladies sitting on the front pew, for two boys back there in children's church, for my wife, she's like this. She's disappeared. <laughs> she's pretty good. I hope that's not a bad sign for all of us. I hope we don't find her clothes folded up out in the... We're still here somehow. So, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 9, we talk about an offering. It says, you, sh- you should come already having decided in your heart what to give. That's, a, that's intention. That's in, I, I've, already, I've already thought, I've, I've allowed God to deal with me about something, and I arrive at the worship gathering already. We're all safe. She just popped her head in the back door. <laughs> Um, thank you, Jesus. Um, I used to live that way. That's why I laughed about it. I was like, if my folks didn't show up, but just when I, when I thought they should be home when I was a teenager and I wasn't living like Jesus wanted me to, I would show up and be like scared out of my mind. I would start flipping news channels and networks and like, oh, tell me a bunch of planes haven't crashed, Jesus, please. I, I got left behind. You know, and it would just freak me out. And so when I know I brought her to church this morning, I just didn't know where she went. She was gone. Whoo. Okay. PTSD. All right. So, I, so 2 Corinthians 9, to live with intention. This means, brings me to step number three. If I'm going to give, I should already have done business with God prior to showing up. That way when the preacher gets up and begins to ask for an offering, I don't feel guilt-ridden or get mad. Because me and Jesus are already doing business about how generous I am. You get what I'm saying? That, that's kind of the point of 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Which brings me to point number three of enhancing our worship is this, arrive under contemplation, don't leave under compulsion. 
Arrive under contemplation. Don't leave under compulsion. We come from a background being sort of charismatic, Pentecostal-ish, that we get to a service and things get real emotional, and we're like, I got to do something. And we can, and we haven't thought about it until that moment, and we all of a sudden we're coming to the altar, and we're crying, and, and we're just tore up. And then like Monday's the same, this the same Monday we had the week before. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You take kids to big, big youth events, and they come home and get revved up, man, all far away for Jesus. And we get home over the weekend, and by Tuesday, they're in more sin than when they left the week before. You know why? Because they emotionally responded to something. They weren't ready to pay the price, and Satan hit them in the mouth. That's what happened. Seen it over and over and over again. And so here's the deal. As followers of Christ, the, the thoughts that Jesus hits you with, this shouldn't be the first time you got hit with them this week. You and him should be communing together over his word and in prayer so when he, you get here, he can just affirm and confirm what him, you and him have already been talking about. And so you don't leave compelled and just emotionally revved up. You've gone, okay, I understand what God's asking of me. He and I have been talking about this, and I'm making, I'm making some intentions about my life. It was going to look different now. And so I'm learning to, to do that. So listen, you've got to arrive under contemplation rather than leave under compulsion. Don't make rash promises, verse 2 says, and don't be hasty in bringing matters before God. There's a lot in this piece of Scripture from like verse 2 on down about how we talk. Because here's what happens. We have an emotional response to something God's doing, and we say things. That we don't necessarily mean, really mean. We feel emotionally charged up. We feel like God's really, and we're not really weighing it out. So the next part of this, I'm going to give you some points about making good on what you say so you don't leave under compulsion. Okay? Number one. It says here, keep your words brief. It says this, after all, God's in heaven, you're here on earth, so let your words be few. One reason we get ourselves in trouble is because we say a lot. And I'll prove it to you. I kind of know a little bit about this at this moment. Okay? Election cycles come and go, right? And guys stand in front of microphones, or gals stand in front of microphones, and they start talking about all these things they're committed to. And then six months later, we're going, well, you said... You said you were going to, and they got all these words they thrown out. Now we got, now we got Twitter, and we got Facebook, and we got sound bites, and you can pull up everything they said, and everybody's mad at them because they didn't make good on what they said, right? Okay, so we know what we're talking about. Am I, am I right? Make your words few, because God's in heaven; He's listening. Proverbs twenty twenty five reads this: Don't trap yourself by making a rash promise to God only later, counting the cost. One of the true signs of a follower of Christ is you count the cost. It's over and over again in the New Testament. Jesus says, daily get up, daily make a choice, daily pick up the cross. Paul would say words like this. He would say, listen, you don't, you don't run off to war without counting the cost. You don't, you don't build a tower without counting the cost. You, you don't say, we'll do this or that. You say, if God wills, we'll do this or that. Those are godly New Testament principles. This is not old, just Old Testament stuff. I know in, in the way we lean, we want to be emotionally revved and, and have everything going. But listen, a lot of Christians get themselves in trouble and they end up in condemnation and guilt and shame because they told God they'd do something in a moment of high intensity and then they never count the cost. And three days later, they can't live up to it and they had no intention of giving up something or doing something for Jesus that would take that amount of, of intensity and, 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 and stuff. And Satan beats them to pieces. And the next thing you know, they stop coming to church. Next thing you know, they stop interacting with their Christian friends. Next thing you know, and so what I'm, I'm trying to get you to do is really, really become a real disciple, a real follower of Jesus, that you are weighing his word on a continual, daily basis, that you're, you, 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 are, you are conscientiously going, Jesus, what's this going to cost me? What's going to happen next? What can I do to make sure I'm truly, truly locked into you? And for teenagers, listen, you're, you're, in the, you're, you're in the next few phases of your life where you have to start making decisions and making commitments. And listen to me, be, be, as a follower of Christ, be conscientious about what you say and what you commit to. Many of you will be getting married soon. Listen, don't make a rash decision about that. 
about your career and things you'll commit to and doing. You and Jesus do business. Ecclesiastes 10, 13, 14 says this, Fools base their thoughts on foolish assumptions. So their conclusions, look at these words, their conclusions will be wicked madness. I assume, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, everything's going to be roses from here, and I just assume, and then the aftermath of that is I, I find myself in wicked madness, right? They chatter on and on. They keep talking, but no one really knows what's going to happen. No one can predict the future because you don't know what's going to happen next and what's going to be hit you in the face, and are you really committed to staying with those words you said? That's the point, Okay? Number two, and making good on what you say is this, do quickly what you tell God you'll do. Those are these words from we just read. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Deuteronomy 23, 21 reads like this. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, be prompt in fulfilling whatever you promised him. For the Lord God, for the Lord your God demands that you promptly fulfill all your, all your vows or you will be guilty of sin. Okay, Aaron, I know I feel like God's dealing me about this forgiveness issue with this one person. And I got to get a hold of him this week. Then Monday comes, and no phone call, no appointment, no text message. Thursday comes and goes, nothing still is going on. Friday, we're hanging out, eating dinner, having a date night, watching a football game, doing, and we still, and Saturday, and we know God dealt with us, and we didn't follow through. And you know what? For, for the amount of time, the, the, the longer time goes, when you feel like God's required some of you and you don't fulfill it, the harder it is for you to fulfill it. It's not just about the carrying out, it's about the prompt carrying out of whatever God's nudging us to do. Do you catch that? This is the word of God. It's not just my words. It's, it's in here. However, it's not a sin to refrain from making a vow. That's what Deuteronomy 23 says. But once you voluntarily made a vow, be careful to fulfill your promise to the Lord your God. Are those strong words or what? It's okay to say, I don't think I can do that right now. God's okay with that. I have conversations like with my kids. Like, do you understand what that means if you do that? Yes, that, do you still want to do that? No, I don't think I do. I said, that's, a, that's probably a good decision. Yeah, because you're right. You're not ready for that. You're not ready to be a teammate. You're not ready to, you know... You're not ready to own a car yet. You're not ready to, whatever the thing is, you're not responsible enough to handle that. So, yeah, that's probably a good idea for you not to take on that responsibility. Anybody ever had those kind of conversations? God wants those same kind of interactions with us. You understand that? He's our Father in heaven. Who said that? Rick did. Okay? Matthew 12, listen to these words from Matthew. These are the words of Jesus, New Testament. Matthew 12, verse 36 says this, 37. I tell you... On the day of judgment, people will give an account, and listen to these next words, for every careless word they speak. For by your words, and he's talking to followers of him right now. He's not talking to like everybody out there. He's talking to the disciples. For by your words, you'll be justified, and by your words, you'll be condemned. That kind of ups the ante a little bit, doesn't it? Jesus, the Savior of your soul, as a follower of Christ, is going to say, didn't you say you'd go to Venezuela on a mission trip? How come that never happened? You knew I was nudging you. Well, I was busy, and I didn't make time, and the kids were involved in this, and we did, and all of a sudden, your commitment to all kinds of other things supersedes your commitment to God. That's the real issue. You understand what I'm saying? That's, that, those are tough words. Are those not tough words? I know we want to hear the gospel like it's all warm and fluffy and, 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 you know, today can be Friday for you. I know we want that. But oftentimes, that's not what helps us grow. What helps us grow is, is this, being, being approached by our Father with love and Him saying, here's, 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 what I, here's what I can see you being, and you joining Him in that journey, growing up into that. You understand that? No, no, nothing else gives me more joy than watch my kids make conscientious willful decisions that are for their growth and usually for the benefit of other people. When you don't fulfill, you, you, here's the other part, don't make excuses when you don't do what you'll say you'll do. The idea here is to repent, not to justify. 
You are going to miss it sometimes. All of us are going to. The important thing is this. The Bible says if we confess our guilt, our sin, he is faithful and just forgives our sin and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. The issue is not whether we will not measure up. The question is what we do when we do not measure up. Does that seem like good English? Did I just confuse everybody? Do you understand what I mean? Because we're all going to miss it. But the worst thing I can do is justify why I missed it and start making excuses. That's the worst thing I can do. And here's the deal. He says here, don't let your mouth make you sin and defend yourself by telling the temple measure that you pro- the promise you made was a mistake. Then you might make God angry and he might wipe out everything you've achieved. Can I, can I really be another step of level honesty to you? One of the worst, one of the, as me as a pastor, one of the worst things, the most common things I hear about this kind of situation is in regard to marriage. I was so young back then, I just didn't know what I was getting myself into. I, I, you know, I, you know, we're different people now. And you make vows to God, and you make vows before family and other things, and you say, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, I will. And then something in life happens, and all of a sudden you, you want to back up. Like, I, I made a mistake. One of the most grave mistakes, one of the most grave backing ups we ever have is in regard to family. Because we ravage not just our life, but generations afterward have to deal with the effects of that. And so if you're, if I'm going to encourage you right now. Listen, you, you think hard and long about what you said before God in a marriage ceremony before you make decisions. Young people, one more time, listen to me. You, you cannot enter into a marriage rashly. You cannot enter in. I had, I had a leader at this church just tell me this week they've had five couples come to them in the last few weeks. And, and they're pretty sure that two of them aren't going to make it. They're going to end up in a divorce court because things are jacked up. Can I remind all of you right now, the real person you made vows to standing in front of an altar was more to God than it was to anyone else. You and him need to do business about what you committed to. Are you hearing me? Because it's a big deal. And I recognize there's a lot of water under the bridge, and I recognize, but listen, this says here, it's better to have not made a vow than to made one rashly. If you made one rashly, you still made it. And the same God who meets you on the waves and the wind is the same God who will empower you to get through this one. Whatever it is, the same God who realizes, like, maybe they didn't know what they were doing, his grace is sufficient to empower you. Now, if you're in, in, in danger, if, if, if there's, you know, there are issues and situations where, where God okays that. But can I say something? If you came to someone and you said, I forgive you over that, as a Christ-like effort, you got to get past that. Because the words I forgive you mean I'm not remembering that anymore. I'm not, that, that's back there. And as, me, as I grow up in Christ, I do like he does. I forgive and I forget. Does Jesus really forget? No, he knows everything. But he chooses not to throw things up in our face that we've done to him once, he utters, once we receive his forgiveness. That's being Christ-like. And every person sitting in this room, every spouse sitting in this room is imperfect. We are going to blow it and we're going to blow it badly Unless you're in danger and unless there's just rampant, all the time, breaking of vows and infidelity, it behooves you, to you and Jesus, to do, to, 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 to do business over the vows that you made to him. Do you understand that? And not just flippantly walk away or whatever. It, this, is being, this, is, this is growing because God uses a marriage in the book of Hosea to describe how committed he is to the people who follow him. Do you know that? He uses a marriage to say, listen, these people keep cheating on me. I almost used a really bad word. But I want it to be plain. They, and I keep taking them back. That's my heart. That's my character. That's who I am. And if we're growing up into him, then we should get better and better and better about that. Not worse and worse and worse. Whew. 
told you I didn't want to talk about this today, but God led us here. So here we Behold, you delight in truth in the inward parts. That's what, that's what the Psalms say. God wants us not to justify our, our weakness and our improprieties. He wants us to deal with them. He wants truth on the inside. John 4.23, the time is coming, and indeed it's here now, when true worship will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. God's looking for worshipers to say, God, I'm exposed to you. I know you know I'm not going to make it. I know you know I'm not, I'm not capable. I know you know I've, I've messed this up this week. But I'm calling out to you because you're great, because you're awesome, because you're gracious, and I'm throwing myself at you. I'm not hiding anything. I'm not working around anything. I'm walking right into it with you because you're awesome. So number four, if you, if you want to enhance your worship of the Lord, number four, live reverently, not flippantly and boisterously. The words here are from verse three and verse seven. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. Too many words make you a fool. Verse seven says, talk is cheap, like daydreams and other useless activities. Fear God instead. The idea here is we remember God's place and ours. He is God in heaven. We're here on earth. We should live in reverence of that. Every moment of every day that his eyes roam to and fro throughout the earth. He knows things about that us that we've yet to understand about ourselves. He understands what we've done, when we've done it, why we've done it, and, he, and, and, and to hide from him just makes no sense. And so we have to live reverently before him knowing that he knows that. And, and, and that he, he, he beckons us to keep sitting at his table and to receive his grace and to grow in maturity and Christ-likeness with him. That's what he asks us to do. Don't run here and there doing everything. If there is a problem with the American culture, it's that right there. It's that right there. We, live, we, live, we don't live reverently. We live flippantly. We, 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 we live mindlessly. We don't have, we're, we're not thinking about what we're going to do tomorrow. Some of you are right now already, have already crossed over out of this moment into to lunchtime. Because you're re- revering your stomach more than you're revering the God who made your stomach. Am I right? Or you're revering, I don't think there's any NFL games today. Good, that, means, that gives me more time. No, I'm, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. And, 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 and so we got to live reverently, not flippantly, not boisterously. Because we, we spend a lot of time chatting about how good we are, and we got this done, and we got these achievements, and these accolades, and blah, blah, blah. And we're doing all that. And God's like, live, live, live in the moment. Live reverently on purpose the way I, I want you to live. Don't do everything. The reason you can't measure up your commitments to God is because you've got to be committed to other people and other things. And, you, and you're, you, you can't. Live up to commit to God because you got this thing and that thing and that thing and that thing and you did that and and, and you got to work all this time because you signed all these 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 paperwork for for these these bills you have to pay and all of a sudden your life's just spinning flippantly out of control. You're trying to keep up and you can't and you can't even stop long enough to talk to God about what he thinks what, what he might want to do in your life today. And you're revering the cut the the, the 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 bill collector or the boss or the wife or the husband or the kids or whoever and make sure they get what they need or what they think they want and you're bypassing God altogether. Fear God instead are the last words Solomon gives us. That word doesn't mean to be absolutely intrepid, although you should be, because he he's the one who went like this. Light be, bam, and it just happened. You know what that means? He can go, Aaron, stop being. And Aaron just collapses right here. He don't have, have, have to even show himself in the room. All he's got to do is utter certain words, and boom, I would just, I would just collapse like a puppet on the floor. The Bible says I should, I should revere not the ones who, who, who can hurt the body. I should revere the one who can throw both the soul and the body into hell. That's what, that's what, those are Jesus' words. Those are in red in the New Testament. The guy of grace and mercy and truth said those kind of words. That gives us balance in carrying out this thing. We're not flippant with His grace. We're not flippant with our lives. We're not flippant with our families. We're not flippant with our church. We're not flippant. Okay? True worship is more about listening and doing than speaking and singing. It's more about being present. I don't even have the, 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 the voice mic on. Than just showing up. Jonah 2. You know, Jonah, he had a hard time. Him and God had a hard time getting on the same page, didn't they? Huh? He said some really, really, really important words in the middle of Jonah before he got sideways again. I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from God alone. Those are good words. The reason I would do all that and, and be adhere, adhere to that 
So I want to offer him the right kind of offerings. I want to give him the right kind of life that he that pleases him. And I, I and I want I want to experience the salvation that he alone can offer me. That, that's what I want. So worship the lifestyle. Romans 12 reads like this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies, the actual physical agent of you living on this planet, to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. This is what true worship is. Not tickling keys, not hitting strings, not banging on drums, not clapping loudly, not shouting, not... The real depth of worship is found in a life that lives as a sacrifice unto Jesus every day. Not because God's hanging over us with a like an ogre waiting to throw down lightning bolts, but because Jesus has already saved us from ourselves and given us heaven as our home. And it's not things I have to do. These are things I get to do. And I have to come to him and say, God, what do you want from me? What do I get to do for you this week? And I begin to listen. And I get to to begin to intentionally put some things in order. And I get to contemplate what he's calling me to. And I get to, to be moved not by just sheer emotion, but by his spirit. And then I get to live in the reverence of knowing that he's the one really paying attention. And he's the one who's going to reward me later. And he's the one I'm going to stand before of at the last day. He's going to say, he's going to say either, either enter in or I don't know you. And therefore, I get, I get this privilege of being a follower of his, of knowing him. So let me ask you a couple questions. What, what, if, what if right here, what if we allowed worship to be more about how we live than how we sing? What if we took to heart the things God wants to speak to us? before we arrived in a gathering like this? What if we worshiped all day, every day? What, what if we really arrived with the intention to listen and to respond? What if we left with the intention to live differently, to love deeply the Father who loves us and made us and knew us from the beginning of time and made a way for us to get to him and to love others the way he loved us. What if, what if, we, what, 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 what if we did that? What if we lived reverently following Jesus, not flippantly allowing everyone and everything else dictate to us how life's going to be? What would that be like? We'd be a church that would live the glorious gospel in a very real and vibrant and crazy way, man. Love would ooze from us. Grace would ooze from us. Life change would happen all around us. Things, it would be crazy, 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 crazy. And the only thing stopping that from happening is us. It's not the music. It's not the sound system. It's not how good the children's ministry is. It's not how good the preaching is or, isn't, or how long he goes. It's not, it's not any of that. It's, it, it's about us. So let me ask you a question. Are you hearing or are you just wanting to be heard? Some of you came to church this morning hoping just to have a conversation with someone because you got to get something off your chest. And you weren't ready to listen. You were just ready to be heard. This was, just is, right? Sometimes I do that. I'm the preacher. It's kind of, it's kind of built in. You know what I mean? i got to take a step back and go, oh, God, maybe you don't want to say what I think you want to say. What do you really want to say? Are, are you intentional or mindless? Is your life lived with the intention of honoring Christ every moment of every day? Do you, are you intentional like those ladies on the screen in that video that you choose to understand? You choose to believe the best. You choose to serve. You choose to go. You choose, you know, all that. Or are you just kind of going with it? Whatever happens, happens. I just kind of roll. Are you contemplative or compelled? Are you and God doing business all the time? Are you giving him access to your life to deal with you on the hardest of issues? Are you being compelled by your flesh to do things that you know dishonor God, but you just want what you want? Are you being compelled by popular opinion to do certain things because it's expected by the parents or the things at the school or, or whatever? Are you compelled by the workplace to do certain things that you know maybe is right? Are you, I mean, what, where is it? Are you contemplating what God wants or are you letting everything else compel you to, to be a certain way? 
Are you reverent or flippant? I'm going to... Few people in here help people sort out their, their lives and as, a, as a living. Selling insurance and annuities and all that sort of stuff. And It's often time when you, when you find yourself in financial stress, one of the things you have to do is do an audit. Dave Ramsey says you've got you to you name every dollar. And when you start doing that, you realize how badly you, you, you manage it. You know what I mean? Like you, you, can, I, can I encourage you? One, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that, that, that is the biggest player into this, and I'm, I'm going to give you something to think about doing when you leave here today, okay? Because I think it's important that you listen to God and you begin to apply what he tells you in the middle of whatever he, gathering you're in, right? I would challenge you, one of the, the biggest things that keep you from worshiping God the way he wants you to as a lifestyle is your time. I'll guarantee you. I'll guarantee you that the, one of the worst things you, you manage in your life when you can't get to doing what God wants you is your time. I will, I will guarantee you that's a problem. Can I give you a challenge this week? Do an audit of your time. Every, every day, write down how you do your time. Think about how, whether you're intentionally spending time doing things that are important or you're just mindlessly going with the flow. Grab your calendar, grab your to-do list, and find out where God fits in that. And if he doesn't, make adjustments. Find an accountability partner in your small group or something and say, dude, I need help with this. I'm not managing my time well. Will you help me manage? If you know somebody who's really good at it, grab a hold of them and say, hey, help me do this. Because here's the thing. We can get money back. We can't get time back. And we should give it at least as much adherence to how we're spending our time as how we spend our money. At least the same amount. Because that's a debt we can't get back. Once it's gone, it's gone. Our, our, our parent Q app tells you every time you open it up how many weeks you got left till your kids graduate. You want, you, want, you, want a, you, want, you want some shock treatment. Try that on. I just found out this week I'm more than halfway done with my youngest son's school time. My youngest. That, that, that'll, that'll rile your cage a little bit. You know what I started doing this last summer? I started putting date nights on my calendar because I put everything else on my calendar, but I, my, my family wasn't getting my time. Everybody else was. So this Friday, guess what's on my calendar? Date night. It's on my calendar right now. What are you doing? I have no idea at this moment. I have zero zilts, not an idea. I, started talk, I talked to my daughter. I said, listen, as soon as you get your school schedules ironed out, we're putting some time on the calendar. You tell me when you, when you can do it. We're going to go have coffee. We're going to go do something together. We're just going to go hang out because I wasn't intentional with them, and I expected time just to show up, and it didn't. You understand what I'm saying? We gotta, I encourage you. You think you don't have time to do what God calls you? I'll bet you're wasting more time than you give yourself credit for. Bet you. Bet you you're not spending time with your spouse the way you should. I'll bet you you're not spending time with your children the way you should. I'll bet most of us in this room aren't spending time with Jesus the way we should. I'll bet you we got a lot of time on Twitter and Facebook and, 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 and Sports Center and whatever things ladies watch. I don't even know what that is. Um, I'm just talking about guys, what, what us guys do. Um, I'll bet you. Just saying. See, I want you to be followers of Jesus, not just church attenders. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.